0: I would be a much unhappier person had I not all these memories with our daughter and just spending that time, even if you just think about it for years, but make it come true. Please take that family time.
1: Welcome to Family Travel Radio, the official podcast of the Family Travel Association. Family Travel Radio is on the air helping you discover the world of possibilities family travel has to offer. Well, hey there, it's Aaron Schlein, and welcome back to Family Travel Radio. This episode here truly has it all. Love at first sight, long-distance romance, how to have fun with language barriers, and last but not least, a look inside Europe that could change the way your family sees the world forever. And there's even a secret bonus question at the end. You're going to enjoy this one, my friend. Away we go. very pleased to welcome Sandra Weinacht to the program today. Sandra was born and raised in Germany, and she always had a passion for travel. And that passion eventually became part of her profession in the year 2000. She and her husband, Ted, fell in love in Munich at Oktoberfest. And together, Sandra and Ted launched Inside Europe, an innovative boutique travel company for affinity groups. 2020 marks two decades for Sandra in what she calls the happy industry of travel. She's visited over 80 countries, and there are still many more on her bucket list. Sandra, welcome to Family Travel Radio.
0: Hi, Aaron. Thank you for having us.
1: And as a special surprise, we mentioned him in the bio. Your husband, Ted, is sitting at your side right now. Hello, Ted. Hello. How are you? Doing well. Thanks for joining us together on the program. We've already talked about how you met. I want to hear that travel romance story. I love those stories. Let's hear yours.
2: Okay. Who do you want to hear it from?
1: Are they going to be different?
2: Oh, yeah. (laughs) Two different perspectives. Do we need to put one of you in an isolation booth? (laughs) (laughs) That might be a good idea, but we don't have one. So
1: (laughs) Let's start with Ted. Tell us that romance story from Oktoberfest.
2: Yeah. So a friend of mine and myself had been talking about going to Oktoberfest for for years. And it just happened that this year we finally got some people to do it. So we said, okay, let's let's go. We got to our hotel to check in and I see somebody bouncing around the, the hotel lobby. She comes bouncing over to us and says, you know, hello, my name is Sandra. I'm your, your tour manager. I'll be right with you. I'm saying goodbye to my previous group. And I looked at my friend. I said, what's a tour manager? So <laughs> I've traveled a lot, you know, through my life. But having somebody kind of take care of you as a tour manager, that was a first for me. So, uh, you know, it was kind of love at first sight. And, uh, yeah, we just kept in touch. I invited myself over for Thanksgiving and uh, started a Thanksgiving trend in Germany with Sandra and her friends. And. Uh, Yeah, did a long-distance relationship and eventually got married. And then did we start start the company first? You
0: proposed. We started the company, waited, had a baby, and 800 clients that same year.
2: Yeah, so that's that's kind of the the short version of how that all happened.
1: That's certainly a whirlwind. How did he do, Sandra, on telling that story?
0: Well, so I don't bounce. (laughs) (laughs) Ever. Um,
1: Not even back then?
0: Well, I I might have a little bit more of a spring in my walk of some sort, but um, yeah, uh, it was love at first sight for Ted and for me it was just like, okay, cute guy, another cute guy that I'll see for the next week and then never hear from again. Little did I know he did call the second he touched down at John F. Kennedy Airport, just like he said, and um, yeah, fast forward Many years, long-distance dating, traveling together, both of us changing careers—we made it work, and still do, and have a wonderful daughter to prove it all to.
1: That's great, and so you've clearly you've started a family, and I want to get to all that in just a minute. But let's let's turn back just a little bit to the company itself, to Inside Europe. So you and Ted have at some point an idea for a company that became Inside Europe. Tell me about that evolution.
0: Well, so I was working in tourism on a side gig at the time when Ted and I met. So I was a journalist at the time, I was working for bundesliga.de uh, in sports journalism. And right after college, I had occasionally worked as a tour manager, helping guide Americans, mainly Americans across Europe on the classic tours that we all know about, you know, Europe in seven days, the mass market experiences. Now that wasn't a hundred percent for me, so I went back to journalism after I graduated college. And um, the company that I worked for at the time, the big prime trip to go on was always the Oktoberfest tour, because honestly, how much more fun can it be than to go to Oktoberfest and getting paid for it at the same time? And so my name eventually came up, and they called me and they said, "Well, would you like to to do your trips? It's it's your turn now." Years later, and I'm like absolutely so i requested paid t- uh, unpaid time off and had just finished those are always back to back experience so i had just finished the first one and then there they are a bunch of young fun people for my final run as a tour manager and
1: then spin that forward so you mentioned you know the mass market experience not not being for you i'd imagine that you took some of those insights some of those feelings and and bake that into your company that became Inside Europe. Oh
0: yeah, forget forget me, I got distracted with the whole love story. It
1: is a distracting story, Sandra, I forgive you.
0: Thank you, I appreciate that. <laughs> it does still bring back great memories. Yeah, so um, fast forward, so Ted and I were long distance dating. At the same time, a headhunter reached out for an American company that was looking for somebody to build up and head their European office. It was an offer I couldn't resist. It was really great, so I worked for many years for this company that specialized in choir tours and band experience abroad as well as you know in europe and china australia however at one point that company was sold and i no longer had a perspective with that uh, the new owners because they were like oh sandra you care too much about honestly those stupid people that's what they said at the time oh my goodness and it broke my heart it was like wow okay, goodbye. So I you know, took care of all the clients I had at the time, made sure that I left with a clean slate. I guess that's very German of myself. And at that moment, Ted also saw an opportunity to seal the deal. So he proposed. He's like, well, now, now we have time to get married, right? I'm like, sure, let's get married. And the idea was for me to go back to journalism. But the groups that I was working with at the time at the old company, there were choirs, orchestras, um, from high schools, churches, colleges. And they were like, okay, listen, girl, you need to start your own company. And I'm like, absolutely not. Absolutely not. This is, you know, travel is a beast. Um, that's not a one woman show. It takes a village and it takes somebody who knows how to numbers. Let's be honest. And that's not my strength.
2: That's where I came in. And because, uh, you know I, I studied engineering and uh, so i was very good with numbers and all that fun stuff that saunder wasn't good at so it was a good uh, it was a good team to have to start off a company
0: however we never thought it was going to get that big that fast
2: no we thought it would be okay this will be a nice little side gig for us you know it'll be fun and bring in some extra money but never thought that this would blow up into uh you know full time actually extra full time I wish I worked full time; that would be nice. But uh, <laughs> many more hours in full time, so uh, so we were we were, I would say, lucky that 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 happened.
1: Well, it sounds like what you were doing was clearly striking a nerve with with your with your clients. So going back again, Sandra, you talked about disenchantment with the mass market experience and the companies that refer to their clients as those stupid people, knowing that you'd had those experiences and you did not want to be part of an organization that treats its clients that way. How did you use those, those feelings to make inside Europe different?
0: So what I realized when I worked as, you know, a contracted, we were even called tour escorts at the time. And I'm like, escort, that's something totally different. Indeed. Um, so, you know you would be welcoming groups and had no idea who was coming. was it families was it um you know multi generational families or was it individuals? Where did the people come from so and the itineraries were always standard, no matter who came, no matter what their interests were. So already, when working with the original company, I, you know, I looked at the program, I looked at where people were from. Aaron, you're in California, so it's probably more likely that you are more foodie adventurous than somebody from. A state that has a little bit less diversity, let's say it. Let's take Kentucky, for example. Not that that's not a wonderful place, but we had, you know, we have so many groups from California and we definitely see a more adventurous food interest from those on the West Coast versus the ones a little bit more inland that also have less opportunities to eat out in exotic places, at least at that time. So, already while working on those tours, I would make gentle adjustments. As I got to know the clients and fast forward to when we started inside Europe, for us, every tour begins by getting to know the people that are actually going and finding out what are their interests, what are their passions, and what do they not like? Because there's nothing worse than dragging 50 people into a museum to see the David. Well, actually, only eight of them care and other 10 would love to just drink cappuccino in a piazza. And five of them would probably rather shop for leather wares.
1: So, how you you do that research, and how you craft those questions to try to figure out what what people care about? That seems, on the surface at least, like that could be especially tricky with families. So, tell me about your overall strategy for figuring out what it is families are looking for.
0: Um, we really take every single experience one at a time, which also means that we don't work with thousands of people every year. We are well known for working with larger groups and highly personalized within, meaning we create a framework that overall is appealing. So let's take an example of a Catholic high school going on a spring break trip to Italy. So the main focus is Catholicism, traveling the footsteps of beloved saints, for example, seeing Rome, seeing the Pope. But from that moment on, we go and dig in deeper because there are the students and the teachers. They have one mission. Then the parents that travel alongside, be it with the grandparents as well or younger children, they have a different focus. So for us, a large group like that one is never just one large group. We actually break it down into as many smaller groups as we possibly can. We personalize their itineraries. And yes, it is a lot of work. But to see the look on people's faces when they're like, oh, you know, I really didn't want to go on a group tour because that's not for me. But, oh, my God, that was so much fun. And we had all these special moments just to ourselves while we still traveled with everybody else. That makes it all worth it. So it's a lot of talk, a lot of getting to know each other, many emails back and forth, conversations, questionnaires. And then even while we're on the ground, our team gets to continue to get to know people and we can continue to make those changes to make it a unique experience for everybody that goes.
1: Well, I'm curious how your own personal experiences in family travel play into this. I'm reading from your... website here. This is a direct quote at inside-europe.com. It says in 2018 alone, we logged over 750,000 miles, stayed in 101 plus hotels and ate at over 200 restaurants. And then here's the key. Even our 10 year old has airline platinum status. That's some serious travel. So tell me about how your own family travel has played a part in, in shaping these experiences that you provide for other families.
0: Well, let's say that um, while we did, you know, do everything in the proper order, got engaged, got married, um, went on our honeymoon a few months later, we came back from the honeymoon with, you know, a little surprise to make her appearance nine months later, <laughs> alongside at the time, seven groups in the same year. <laughs> well, we filled with that baby before she was born Thea was on her first flight when she was 2 weeks old to go see our clients because that's something that's really important to us too before a group travels with us we have at least 2 if not 3 meetings where we don't just present the tour but continue to get to know our travelers and then before she was 6 months how many countries was it Ted ten?
2: I think it was I think it was 10 countries by the time she was 9 or 10 weeks old so yeah, there was a lot of traveling within Europe and those I guess we're traveling about six weeks, I believe. Yeah. So
0: that was the beginning of it because then it continues, obviously. So initially it was me and Ted and depending on the destination that we were in, like Italy is more my strength. Then he would sometimes just remain back if Teya had a bad day. She was, you know, in the hotel with Ted. If she had a good day, everybody was out and about and it was really wonderful to see how the clients reacted as well. Later on, then family trouble got a little bit more complicated because we started adding my dad into the mix as well as my grandma. So that brought a whole new set of realizations as to how to pick the right hotel to also maybe not need a nanny necessarily for the child, but more so for my dad and my grandmother, which is something that nowadays we offer as well. So we went away from escorts, managers, um, our team members or hosts, and they happily stay behind with grandma and grandpa while, you know, mom and dad go out and the kids are just happy by themselves in the room.
1: You said something interesting. You're talking about your daughter having a bad day. And I feel like that's something that's generates a lot of fear in parents that almost as if their kids aren't allowed to have a bad day. Like it would be just this catastrophic disaster if your child were to have a bad day during a vacation. And I think that's part of the reason why families either don't travel or they don't step out into the you know challenging themselves in terms of adventure, because they're fearful of those bad days. What's your advice around dealing with bad days on the road?
0: I think I have more bad days on the road than Taya ever had.
2: Yeah. I'd like to add, we have a lot of, common interests and so there's a lot of things we want to do together but then there's also say I love beer but Sandra doesn't really like beer so you know we need to we need to build all these things in to say okay I'm going to go find some you know craft beer somewhere where I can enjoy and then Sandra's like well I'll, I'll tag along or you just go ahead and buy yourself and then Tay would like to go to the park and then another time Sandra would say I want to go to a really nice restaurant you know we all like the same things but we also there's different interests so To make this work for a family, everybody has to be happy. There has to be pieces for for everybody, and you're going to have a bad day. It's it's not just a kid, but if the kid has one bad day or two bad days, it's not going to ruin it for them. So, yeah, that's not something people should be afraid of because they're going to have those at, at home anyway, so it's not any different.
0: And with that being said, you know, my I know a lot of people here in America are worried about more so going overseas with kids than maybe traveling in the U.S. Because what if I need medical attention? What if, Lord behold, he or she breaks her leg or something happens to grandma? I think that fear is actually much bigger than the fear for the young ones from what I've seen. But let's keep in mind, you know, Europeans have kids, too. And Europeans travel a lot more with their kids than I see Americans doing that. And so keeping in mind, or going back to Ted's story with the craft beer, so we just pick a beer garden that also has a really nice wine list, and every single good beer garden in Germany or Austria, to name two countries, has playgrounds or petting zoos or other opportunities for kids. So. Please don't be afraid to travel with your kids, Um, especially go to destinations where, you know, the locals travel with their kids all the time too.
1: Well, I remember being a kid and looking at a globe or looking at just a map of the world and seeing some of the far-flung places and just imagining in my head that like, I can't imagine that life over there looks anything like what my life looks like here because it's just so far away. I imagine you know, the sky being a different color and you know the, everything being so different. But then when I finally had that first opportunity at 12 years old, so I was relatively young, I went over there and I realized people are all more or less the same. The sky is still blue, the leaves are still green, water tastes the same. And that really just flipped a switch in me to say, okay, what else can I explore now that I've gotten over that initial fear that I'm not going to be able to find my favorite toothpaste. Once you get over that initial hurdle, the doors sort of fly wide open. What do you think?
0: Absolutely agree. And I was recently talking with Kirsten Maxwell from Kids Are a Trip about her experience in Germany, where she said, you know, it really wasn't that family friendly. And I'm like, oh, no, where did you go? And so we started going over her tour uh, that she did. And it takes the same effort as you do here. You have to make sure you pick the right hotels that cater to everybody in your family, like Ted said before, and the interests. Be in a good location. Unfortunately, she had not such a great experience because her hotels weren't the ones that European families would go to either with younger children. It's harder. Obviously, you have the language barrier, but museums, just like here in the US, they have kids programs. Now, will they be in English or not? That's something to look in beforehand. Um, There's truly so much to that's so similar and yet at the same time different enough that it can be fun to explore.
1: Well, let's get us into some specific places. And now that we've kind of established that all the creature comforts that we have grown accustomed to here in the States, all those things are going to be available virtually anywhere in the world, but especially in Europe. Now that we've established that, let's get into some specific places that you recommend for families to get started exploring Europe, maybe for taking that very first overseas trip.
0: So I think the biggest advice is for that very first overseas trip to not make that mistake and make it the national lampoon's European uh-huh. vacation. Um, because I think that's a mistake that we all make. Well, this is maybe our once-in-a-lifetime trip to Europe, so let's do it all. Let's do you know London, Paris, um, Florence, down to Greece. That's, in my humble opinion, a it's going to be a disaster because that puts so much pressure on you and you have all that stress. So my biggest advice is to pick one, maybe two destinations. The beauty of Europe is there's so many countries that are in certain areas close enough to another country that you can hit those two or three places. So one of my personal favorites is the city called Trier. It's a historic highlights of Germany city located on the border to Luxembourg, France, as well as Belgium. It's a great, very, very affordable destination, very family-friendly. It's a city that's over 2,000 years old with a lot of Roman history, great pizza, incredible gelato. And with that being said, it seems everybody wants to go to Italy. So, Italy is another great, great destination for family. But Italy is also not just one destination. There's so many different parts to it. There's the Dolomites for those families that are into nature and, you know, hiking, adventure experiences. The big cities, they're just like any other big city magical, special, but also very, very busy. So, for those families that are going for the very first time, I would suggest stick to smaller towns. One of my favorites is a town called Cardona that can very easily be combined with Barcelona. And a lot of families I know nowadays, if they go to Europe, they do a cruise as a starting point. And I think that's a great idea if you were the type that enjoys cruises. But with that being said, so if you're going to Barcelona, you should see the city, absolutely. But then, just an hour outside is this magical little town with a ginormous castle perched up on a hill that is also a hotel. And you can stay there. You can relax. You can walk into town. At night, it's absolutely quiet. The kids are playing soccer on the square. The families are just sitting around enjoying a glass of wine. So look for those smaller, special places next to the big cities to get that real feel for the places that you're going to.
1: I like that you mentioned the diversity within a given country, and we talked about it a little bit earlier in the conversation about the United States, the difference between, say, a California and a Kentucky. It would be unfair to both states and to the country in general to lump those in as being the same because they're all part of the United States. And exploring countries like Germany and France and Italy, you visit these different corners and you realize there's very different culture, different food, different climates, all within the same country that really just transcends those... Stereotypes that we see, like like the Griswolds in European Vacation, with you go to Germany and everyone's running around in Lederhosen, or then you go to the France and it's just a bunch of rude waiters and tiny cars. It's really really fascinating stuff.
2: You hear about people, oh, I was already in America, you know, from people traveling from overseas. Like, well, where did you go? I, like, I went to New York. I didn't like it. It's like, well, you know, that's not really America. That's New York City, very different. And the same goes for people traveling from the United States over to Europe. You say, oh, I've already been to Italy. Well, like you pointed out, Italy is very diverse. You know, there's you have the northern Italian, you have the Dolomites. You can go skiing, you can go hiking. Uh, you have Rome, which is you know the history and and the hustle and bustle. And then you have you know southern Italy, which is very kind of throwback Italy's much slower pace and uh, smaller towns and different food. So yeah, it's uh, it's interesting what people think of this you know homogeneous country, and of course. I would say the US is even more diverse, but compare Europe to America is probably more, is probably a better way to explain it than just say, you know, a country, say Germany versus America versus the US. So if you can kind of translate that to, to people, you kind of open their eyes and, oh, okay, I, I understand now.
1: Right. And I think that going back to what we were talking about before, that very often that first trip where you the light switch goes on and you realize the possibilities just being on the ground and realizing how much there is to explore and how so many of the fears that we have or that some people may have about travel evaporate pretty quickly when you actually get out into into the open and realize that there's so much so much going on and it's all worth exploring let's let's talk language a little bit that's another one of those hurdles that certain folks might get tripped up on the idea of uh, a running into a language barrier. So stick to Europe here. I realize language barriers can vary considerably depending where you are in the world, but Europe in particular, let's talk about overcoming the, uh, any language barriers for families traveling to Europe for the first time.
0: If you had asked me that question 10, 15 years ago, my answer would have been, yes, there is still a huge language barrier. Because my parents' generation, for example, you know, there are people in their late um, 60s, 70s, and 80s, uh, English was not something that pretty much everybody spoke or understood. However, nowadays, Anybody that you are likely to encounter that works in tourism, in the medical field, in the legal field, English is a mandatory language in most European countries, usually the first foreign language people learn. Will people right away speak English with visitors? No, because people are shy and people are worried and nobody ever thinks that their English is perfect enough to carry a big conversation. But walking into an Italian restaurant and just saying buongiorno, buonasera, and maybe know how to say, I'm sorry, I really don't speak Italian, opens the doors. The same with Germans. Um, You know, now Ireland, that's a whole different story. I still need Ted to translate for me when the Irish speak (laughs) back to me. But that's probably easier for Americans to understand. But so, yeah, no, people do speak English and they will speak English with you if they need to. So that's truly not a worry anymore, except for in very rural, rural towns. But even there you will find somebody who will speak English if there's an emergency.
2: Right. I I want to add too, you know, if you can just learn a few words of the language where you're traveling to, it goes a long way because people say, okay, they tried it, they don't really they didn't learn it, but they they know a few words, you know, hello or you know.
0: And then technology, you know, Google Translate nowadays. There is, in my opinion, And I mean, I'm very fortunate I speak five languages because I had to in those days to actually do my job. And I still need it for the back office work that, you know, negotiating contracts and all of these things. But as travelers, you're fine. You'll be okay. You will get around. A lot of the museums nowadays are bilingual English. It's usually English in addition to the native language. Train station announcements, airport announcements, really, you'll be fine traveling to Europe, not speaking the local language.
2: I also want to add, even though you, you know, you may have a language barrier, you know, people are used to, especially in Europe, people are used to people traveling from everywhere else. So, you know, you get by, somehow you, you can communicate with somebody, even though you don't have the language there. So, and that's, you know, that's half the fun where you, okay, let's try to figure this out. And, and, you know, people are in general, very, very friendly. So, if somebody sees you're having problems, that you know, people will come over and say, "Oh, can I help you? Can I translate?" So, yeah, that's uh, that should not be a worry for anybody.
1: And having those little moments where you might be struggling to to find a con- some common ground with with locals in terms of language, those can create some of the coolest memories. And for me, one that just jumps right to the top, I was in Switzerland, Interlaken, in Switzerland at a, a bar and I met a girl from Italy. She spoke no English. I spoke no Italian, but somehow through body language and trial and error, we realized that we both spoke a little bit of French. I took four years of French in high school and we were able to carry on it seemed like I think was a pretty good conversation, just using what little bit of French we both had. And it was so much fun. We couldn't we really couldn't say much because neither of our French was particularly good, but it was enough to have an enjoyable conversation and it made for a really cool memory. I felt just that made a, a strong connection to someone that would not have happened otherwise.
2: Yeah, that that's a great point. I was kind of thinking along those lines where, you know, that you might know a few words of a certain language that that other person might know, and just because you're in, like you say, you're in Switzerland, you know, somebody is from a different country, but they speak, you know, a language that is a third language, and that's, you know, that's that's like I said, that's half the fun is is those kind of experiences.
0: And for the families, you know, that's I think is such a great way um, to bond and get excited about going on a trip. You know, you can watch movies about the destination. You can watch them in the original language with subtitle. You can write down your favorite foods. The internet is a great resource, as we know. So there's and such a learning opportunity for everybody. Our own daughter, you know, with me, she hardly ever wants to speak German because she has to. But at the same time, having been to France and Italy, her parmigiano reggiano or gelato flavors, she's really good at mm-hmm. those. And I hope that gives her a foundation for when now um, Spanish kicks in in middle school.
1: That's exciting. And just to know that so many years, decades of, of exciting travel are in her future and in your future as a family. Just so much to be excited about.
0: Yeah. Thank you, Erin. And yes, please take that family time. It's truly, you don't get those. Everybody always says it's 18 summers, but don't wait until the very end. I would be a much unhappier person had I not all these memories with our daughter. Abroad, at home, and just spending that time and thinking—even if you just think about it for years—but make it come true.
1: So let's let's wrap up here, Sandra. You said you visited eighty countries, and Ted, I presume your number is similar. You both got your bucket lists. Let's uh, let's talk about what's next. What's what's on your list?
0: Personally, I am very excited and hopeful to return to Japan this summer, hopefully for the Olympics. And then there's always those magical places that we haven't been to. So for me, um, Antarctica is one of them, although a far-fetched dream. Um, We're thinking about Egypt and Morocco, maybe Jordan for Christmas.
1: Antarctica, that is on my list. And it has been since I was a kid. I really hope to get there before it all melts away and there's nothing left to see. I heard it was 70 degrees in Antarctica the other day. Oh, no. oh boy!
0: this this is this is the very sad reality of um, maybe not the greatest travel that we're all doing. So that's you know another really important topic to to look at and focus on. How can we sustainably travel to keep these places that we all want to see? in their original state or as original as possible. So thank you for mentioning that, Aaron.
1: Absolutely. And why don't we just have you guys back? We'll have that sustainability conversation. I feel like we could go on and on talking travel, talking Europe. You guys are fantastic guests with tons to share, but we do have to, to wrap up and say goodbye here. And I just want to leave our listeners with this. I would invite you to start planning that European journey, whether it's on your own or with a trusted travel advisor or through a tour company. And speaking of tour companies, you can let Inside Europe help you craft your next travel story and you can get started by visiting inside-europe.com. That's inside-europe.com. We're going to have this all linked up in the show notes at familytravel.org slash radio. So you can go ahead and check it out when we're done listening. Sandra and Ted, thanks so much for taking some time on Family Travel Radio and happy travels to both of you. All
2: right, Thank you. And thanks for having us. And uh, yeah, we hope to talk to you soon.
0: Yeah. Thank you, Erwin.
1: I got a a secret bonus question here for you. Your company logo for Inside Europe, all capital letters, except for that first I. Why that lowercase I at the beginning of Inside Europe in the logo?
0: It's actually that exclamation, the lowercase I. In German, it's called the E-Tüpfelchen. It's the icing on the cake. It's the going the extra mile and looking beyond the obvious.
1: I love it. The icing on the cake. That's awesome. I just I've been reading through your site for the last couple of days and it's just been been on my mind. I'm glad I had a chance to ask. Thank
0: Great. you. We should put that on there. Thank you for the suggestion.
1: It's cool. I love it. It was intriguing enough to to want to find out a little more. Sometimes it's those those little things, the little icing on the cake. You know that there's more to life than your work, but do your kids know? Last year, 55% of American parents didn't use all their vacation days. Taking time off to travel lets you show your kids different sides of the world and different sides of yourself, like the side that does things like this. Family travel is easier and more affordable than you might think. You brought them into this world. Now show it to them. Discover the possibilities at familytravel.org. Hey, it's Aaron Schlein. I really hope you enjoyed this episode of Family Travel Radio. All the notes for this episode and for every episode of the podcast are available at familytravel.org slash radio. All right, my friend, until we meet again, this is Aaron Schlein for Family Travel Radio, and I am signing off.